to see so many of you here this morning. Uh, and we shared earlier, we have uh, Dahlia here with us, and we had a chance to hear her a uh, little bit of her story. So would you give her a warm welcome as she comes? Well, we thought we would do a little interview style and um, give her a chance to share some of her story with you guys. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about the country you come from and what it was like being born and raised there? Uh, well, before I start talking about that, can I just take a minute? And you can do whatever you else? want. <laughs> then I will come back to this question. Like yesterday night, it was all about me, which was awesome, but... Today I would like to take a few minutes and because just God is putting on my heart to speak about those who cannot speak for themselves now. Like, Refugees of Hope and the six churches did a wonderful job like sponsoring Aliyah and I to come here but, and Margaret as well. And, but we are just three of few millions who are still waiting few millions who are far away from home, running for their lives, maybe because of ISIS, maybe because they took a brave decision and stood up in front of their families and chose to follow Jesus, and that's why they're not home anymore, and they are running for their lives. They're waiting in countries that are not so good to be there, like Turkey and Lebanon, they lost their schools, they lost their jobs, they lost homes, money. So difficult. So I would like to say just keep on praying, keep on the good work, your donations, your support, just to bring back, you know, like bring here a few more refugees as much as you can. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, for us, we said earlier, our... Growing up in this country is very different than the one you grew up in. So can you share a little bit about what that was like? Uh, well, my country is like more than 90% Muslims and like a little bit like percentage is Christian. It's just like 2 or 3%. So it's not much. So Christian, there are persecuted. And I grew up in a Muslim family who didn't know the Lord. My childhood was good. I had everything that I needed from material and that stuff, but that's nothing comparing to what my parents taught me. It was something so far away from Lord's love. I've learned to hate others who are different, Christians, Jewish ones who worship Buddha, anyone who's different. I was raised to hate them, to, yeah, and it was so violent religion, so that's how I grew up. So in a country like that, how and what made you decide to become a Jesus follower? Well, in a country like that, the gospel is not allowed to share. Bible is so hard to get and read. Uh, but those like few percentage who are Christian are not allowed to share their faith, to talk about it. But um, when I was 18, when I became 18, I went to university and I had few Christian friends there in my class, and the Lord just put them there to, and that was his plan for my life. And they were brave enough to share the gospel with me, even though, like, if somebody does that, they might end up in jail, they might be killed for sharing that, but 
there were some like really brave people that Lord put in my way. Wow. And uh, so uh, because of them, you accepted Christ. How, yes. did, how did that feel when you accepted Christ and, and when you decided to get baptized? Like I was born again. I like God's love it was the first time I experienced God's love and it was amazing. It was an amazing feeling. Completely changed, yeah. And, and how long did it take for the time that you started talking with your friends till the time you got baptized? Uh, well, almost a year of reading the Bible and studying it with them secretly. And uh, yes, uh, they were like so patient with me, answering my questions. And I had lots of questions that weren't answered since I was little. And yeah, a lot of things that... I didn't understand and a false image of God in my head that they had to change and show me who the real Lord is and how much he loves us and he came to die for us. And so where did you get baptized? Well, I got a, I got baptized in a church in Iraq and it was so hard to get there, but I did. And when I first went there, I was still wearing the hijab, which is the head cover, the way that Muslim ladies dress up, and I went on the like the door of the church, and the pastor saw me dressing up that way, so for sure he assumed that I'm a Muslim. So, uh, and Muslim people who come there, they only come to bomb the church or to bother the people who are there. So he thought that I have a question, and I just came to argue, and he asked me. What is your question? I said, no, I came here to baptize you. Just get me to the water. So, yeah, he started laughing and he took me in. People were afraid of the way I was looking like because they don't know. Am I here to argue and fight? Am I here to bomb the church? But then when they heard my story and how I came to believe in the Lord Jesus, they were more comfortable. They started praying with me. Then after a while, I got baptized. Right on. Yeah, that would be pretty neat if someone just showed up and said, hey, can you baptize me today? That's uh, pretty, pretty cool. And some, some neat things. And you obviously see the smile of, of how that affected your life. But what happened with your family? How did they react to what happened? Uh, after a while, my mom found out somehow, because moms know everything. And she... <laughs> She felt that there is something has been changed in me, and like it was changed for better. Like I was becoming better, but she really wanted to know the reason that was bothering her. So she started looking after me, and just like uh, she knew after a while, I don't know how, but she knew. And then she came to me and she said, "Is that real? Is that what you did? Did you go to church? Did you got baptized?" And I couldn't lie. I couldn't, like, just deny that Lord Jesus is my Lord now. And I said, yes, that's what I did. Then from that point, my life has been changed. And my family, like, locked me in my room for a few months, like, beating me and hurting me just to come back to their faith, to the way that they believed. But... After a while, they decided to take my life because that's what their religion says if somebody falls and another 
religion, but I mean, like you can see like what false idols can do to humans' heart. Like most of people here have families, have children, and I know that you cannot imagine killing your own child, taking the life of your own child. Like you wouldn't let anything hurt them. So how can you go and try to take their lives in your, like by your hands. So that's what a false religion, what a false idol, when you don't worship the Lord, the real Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, can do to your heart. It can like give your heart of stone, not flesh and meat. So you fled from home. Yeah, I had to because like we, we came to the point that we couldn't talk anymore and their solution was to kill me. And I had to sneak out and just leave home. And when I left home, I just ran away. I couldn't even pack a suitcase. I couldn't take any of my papers to prove that I even went to school. I had to leave university when it was my second year. And I had to leave all my education behind. I, I left my country without even taking a paper that proves that I went to elementary school or something. So where, did you go, where did you end up going from there? I went to Turkey. It was the closest thing in, that I can get to. And I just went from place to place to keep myself safe. My family was coming after me because, like in their religion, if you don't take the life of somebody who follows Jesus, like that counts on you, the sin counts on you too, so they had to wash their sins to by chasing after me and taking my life. So you left Turkey, and then where did you go? I went to Lebanon after that, and the same thing happened. I was just moving from place to place to keep myself safe, to not be found out about, till these great people in Canada found about me and heard my story from a pastor here. And they started doing my paperwork, and the Lord has blessed me and blessed them so much. Like, the paperwork took no time comparing to what other refugees can take and wait for years. But my paperwork was just flying, the time flight, and I came to Canada. Right, and uh, we are glad of that. So, (laughs) what was your first reaction when you came to Canada? Like, I didn't expect to be that happy and that welcome because I left home. I'm overseas now. I didn't know what to expect. I was so scared. And already on the plane, I was feeling homesick by being that far from my country, knowing that there's no way to go back. But when the plane landed and I came out of that door, I saw Rebecca. I saw other people from church, like, waving for me, holding a sign with Canada flag and something, and my name and the words, like, welcome to Canada, the words were in Arabic. They wrote it in Arabic for me, and flowers and chocolate and people waving and screaming. (laughs) Like, I felt so welcome and at home and safe. Amazing. So now that this is home, what are some of your dreams and plans and goals for life here? Like my dreams now, it's just to get back the education that I've lost 
things that I had to leave behind because of my faith. And that's what I'm working on right now. I'm working to get my diploma and to get my education back. And is there anything else that you'd want to say? Like, last night I mentioned names, but I missed a few names too. So I don't think that mentioning names will be a good idea. So thank you for everyone. <laughs> but there's amazing face back there, and I had to mention her name. I just have to. Leslie Brower, thank you so much for being such a good friend and a friend that I know of. Whatever happens to me and whatever issue I face, I just can go and talk to her, and she will be there to support me and help me. She did an amazing job, like, through the last year. By being by my side and being such a good friend, thank you so much. And also thank you for Jackie Dord and Peter for the ride you gave me last month. I really needed it, and you know what I mean. Thank you so much. And... I would like to thank Rebecca again. I know I thanked you last night, but that's not enough for what you did. Thank you so much that after the church, you take us, Ali and I, to your house and celebrate with us, continue celebrating for me being, like, finishing one year here. Thank you so much. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah, please give her a big, big hand. Thank you. Thank you. You know, sometimes you hear, you know, the, uh, the word refugee and forget that that's a face and that's a name and that's a story and a uh, powerful, powerful story. And uh, I hope by even just this morning having the opportunity to get to know a little bit of Delia's story, they have the opportunity to ask her, you know, the things that may be the questions that you have or the chance to come alongside her and, uh, and to be the family that she uh, she left behind, and that's something that I love that you've had, been able to experience here with Kingsway. So thank you for being uh, that family as well, and for all of the support. Um, powerful stuff. So this morning I have a little short thing I want to share with you guys as well, so we'll just start with a video. There you have it. Thanks for watching my Christmas cookie tutorial. For more easy cookie decorating, please subscribe to my channel. Hey, that looks awesome. Really? Yeah. You made those all by yourself? Well, yeah. Where'd you learn just... how to do it? You made those all by <laughs> yourself. Dad, I was watching on his YouTube oh, video. Oh, I'm so yeah. good at decorating cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, buddy. Hey, we should go carol. beginning to look a lot like Christmas. And for some, you're like, who needs Christmas, you know, with all the stuff that goes along with it. And I understand that, that feeling, but uh, it's one of the questions we kind of want to answer over the next couple of weeks of who needs 
Christmas. Uh, you know, the lyrics and the songs maybe over the last little last little while, uh, maybe you've heard them on the radio or, or, or been, they've been coming into your mind. It's phrases like joy to the world. Anybody heard that? Yeah. How about, uh, how about uh, peace on earth? You know, the thrill of hope. Have you heard those lyrics, the thrill of hope? You know, what about I want a hippopotamus? Yeah, you've heard that one? Yeah, I know. Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I want a hippopotamus. And why wouldn't you if you see how cute they are? Like, who, who wouldn't want, anybody, anybody wishing for a hippopotamus this year? Like, honestly, there were people, weirdos last night too. I, strange. But, you know, when we, when we think about that though, when you, when you think about this, you know, want a hippopotamus or whatever, you, you, you think about that, you're like, yeah, maybe someone. But not everyone's got a hippopotamus for Christmas. You know, we, we know that. Right? We think, yeah, maybe there's a few people that might, maybe a zoo, but not, not anybody. I'm sorry about those of you who raise your hands. You just re- you're not getting one. I'm j- just telling you. you know, but, but, um, but if you think about the lyrics they just gave you, d- don't you find that, that all of those kind of ring true in the same way? That, yeah, you know, we'd hope for that, but, but some might get that, but not everybody's getting that this year. You know, joy, joy to the world. Well, we, we know and hope that, that people would experience joy, but... Christmas is actually the highest season of depression. That, that, yeah, we hope that people would experience joy, but in reality, there's a, a lot of people who won't experience joy this Christmas. Peace, peace on earth. Maybe peace here in Canada, but as we heard this morning, you know, in other countries, there's not peace. And in other families, there's not peace. There's not peace on earth uh, like we would hope for everyone. And that word hope. That thrill of hope that people would experience hope. But we realize that, you know, for some, yeah, but, but not for everyone, that right now there's people living in hopeless situations all over. Poverty, sickness, you got doctor's reports maybe, and there's this, this sense of hopelessness. Maybe it's depression that, that kicks in. And we hear those words and we're like, yeah, you know, hope, joy to the world, peace on earth. And we think about those this morning. It really is the power of Christmas, is these powerful words. And we celebrate um, Advent. For some of you are like, you know, not sure what Advent's about. You know, it's like, oh, that's where the calendar with the chocolate comes out. And, you know, my kids are looking forward to Christmas. Well, it was originally designed to be this uh, thing, whatever it was, um, that, would, that they would keep little sticks or they'd have a candle with numbers on it that they'd burn down. But it was this idea of anticipate something amazing that's about to happen. Keep anticipating the arrival of Jesus. And that's really what Advent means is the arrival. But as we, and in churches all across the world, celebrate the season of Advent, they celebrate it with these words, Love, joy, peace, and hope. Hope. I asked my kids the other day, can you, like, guys, what do you say that, what, what do you call, or how would you describe hope? And my kids are 11 and 9 and 6 and 5. I didn't know that last night, but I have been uh, corrected by my wife. Those are their ages. And so they, they, they're describing it to me in the back, like, what's hope? And, and my, my daughter, she says, um, hope is like when you really, really hope that something's going to happen. Like, you can't use the same word to describe the word I'm asking. And I'm like, what is hope? It's like, well, when you like, you like, you hope you're going to get something. I'm like, same problem, you know. How do you describe hope? And then the little guys are like, like when you're really, really, really wishing, right? And it's like, that. but there's this really, really, really tied to it, this thing of of hope, really hoping something's going to happen. And maybe as a child, Around Christmas, you had similar things to me that, 
You know, you'd hope you were going to get that Christmas gift that you'd been hinting to mom and dad about. And, uh, you know, and then when Christmas comes, you f- it only goes one of two ways. And it only goes one of two ways when it comes to hope all the time. It either you got what you hoped for or you're disappointed. There's no in between. And so for some, maybe, you know, it was that Tickle Me Elmo that you hoped for, you know, back in the day. Uh, and maybe you as a parent were like, oh, I hope I can get one for my, for my kid. But, you know, maybe that was one of the hopes that disappointed you in your past. And maybe you're not that generation. Maybe you're part of the Furby generation or Teddy Ruxpin. Anybody remember him? All of a sudden, yeah, yeah, Teddy Ruxpin. How about for those who remember the Cabbage Patch Kids? Maybe that was your, like, hope. You're starting to show your age. Maybe it wasn't that, but the Easy Bake Oven, when this was the thing to, the thing to have, and, and you hoped, and, and no, you didn't get it until it was a yard sale special somewhere to, down the road when the batteries no longer worked and it didn't bake anything. Um, but maybe it's before that. Maybe you're the Shirley Temple doll who you were just so hoping and maybe before that G.I. Joe, yeah, or the wooden rocking horse when that technology was new and you were like, yeah, this is what I really hope for. And maybe in all of those things, you know, maybe it wasn't those exact things, but you had hopes that disappointed you. Um, maybe it wasn't stuff. Maybe it was a dream. Maybe for you, it was like you, you just really wished your parents would put you into uh, hockey. So you know, they'd buy skates and let you play hockey because you knew you had a natural gift. And you knew if you had the chance, you would make the NHL someday. And you knew that if you made the NHL, the Leafs would draft you and you would go on to help make sure that they had a dynasty of winning teams. Nobody else had that dream? <laughs> so so but your hopes were dashed every year when hockey season came along. Your parents were like, you know, skates are too expensive, right? And so now the Maple Leafs, as a result, let us down every single year, right? We are hopes that they're going to win the cup, and the only way we can have that is by photoshopping it into the picture to see them hoisting the cup because they let us down. Even last night, you know, some of the guys were like, come on now, you know? And sure enough, last night again, hopes dashed. But maybe for you, they're more meaningful. Maybe for you, you've got hopes like, I hope I'm not single this Christmas again. You know, maybe, maybe I hope that I hope that, you know, I'm, I, that this month I, I find out that I am pregnant as opposed to all the times where I found out that I'm not. Maybe your hopes that have been disappointed are that you uh, hope that relationships in your life that are broken, and have been broken for a long time, that maybe they'd be restored this Christmas. And you, and you hope. And, and you had some of these hopes before, and those hopes have been disappointed, and, and yet you keep hoping. You keep hope alive. You hope again. It's been however many years since the Leafs won the cup, and yet we will hope again. You know, there's people who are like, it hasn't happened any of these other months, but you buy the pregnancy test and you hope again. It's like your, your kids haven't talked to you in years, and yet you just hope that this Christmas or this time, maybe there's going to be something, and you keep hope alive. Why, Why do we do that? Because deep down inside, we realize that there's actually an incredible power in this word hope. We don't always realize the value or power of something until it's gone. It's like that song, you know, you don't know what you got till it's gone, uh, Joni Mitchell's Big Yellow Taxi. But when hope disappears, you know it, because everything changes when hope is gone. You know, this, this uh, week in the news, there was a, an Argentine submarine, maybe you've followed the story, that's, that's gone missing. And just a couple of days ago, after they've been searching and searching and searching, the, the, the words in the paper were, you know, all hope of finding survivors is now over. And you watch the families of people who are like, they, they, their hope was there, but now it's gone. 
There's a whole different feeling of what that means to find that now. There's a missing plane that went down in Western Canada this week, and the families of the the two people on board put it on Facebook saying, we need your prayers now more than ever. Help us to keep hope alive. Keep hope alive. You know, there's, there's an incredible power and hope. Proverbs chapter 13, this is written thousands of years ago. And yet it really rings true when you see it. That just says this hope deferred or hope, that, hope that's pushed to the side where it's taken away from you. It just makes your heart sick. And for many that have experienced that, that sickness of the, the heart where it's like there's, there's no point in, in living sometimes. There's this difficult thing of making anything make sense because the hope's been deferred. But it says the opposite of that, a dream fulfilled. When hope actually happens, it's like a tree of life. It's a man named Hal Lindsey who, um, who made this quote. He says this, A man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but only for one second without hope. Why? Because hope, hope gives powerful strength when in situations, times when we need it. This simple little word, it really has a whole lot more behind it. Um, in the 1950s, I don't know if you were there, but uh, you can look it up, Dr. Kurt... Dr. Kurt Richter was a, was a uh, professor and uh, studying um, uh, at Harvard, and he did this brutal study that PETA would never let this happen uh, now today, but we have this as a result of those times. But he, uh, he, had, he was doing this study with rats, and so Kurt took these, um, took these um, domestic rats and these wild rats, and he had these buckets of water, and he'd dump a rat in the bucket of water and see how long it could swim. And then he'd, when it drowned, he'd just write down the time. And so he had these... He had these Domestic rats, and they would swim, and then he put these wild rats in, and they'd drown way quicker. And so he's like, he's wondered about that. The, the wild rats are actually better swimmers, so why are they drowning quicker? So he had to do more studies, and he got more rats, and he put, the, um, he put some more domestic rats in the, the water, and he let them swim. And in about 14 minutes, he'd pick them up, and he'd hold them for a minute. Just give them a chance to catch their breath, and then he'd dump them back in the thing. And he realized that as he had watched the rats swimming, they averaged about 15 minutes before they would drown. But he said when he picked them up and held them for one minute, not enough to really give them a whole lot of rest or recovery time and drop them back in the water, they would swim for 60 hours. 240-something times longer as a result of something. And his conclusion was that it wasn't that the rats had had time to regain energy or anything like that. The conclusion was the rats swam longer because they were given energy through hope. They kept thinking that if I can just swim long enough, that hand's going to reach and pull me out. And this time, maybe, maybe this time, I'm not going back in. There's something really, really powerful when hope is put in our lives. It gives people the power to continue fighting for relationships that haven't been mended yet. It continues to give people the power to keep believing for things that you haven't seen yet. It gives people the chance to continue waiting for promises, the power to wait for promises that have not yet been fulfilled. And when hope's deferred... Hope deferred, there's, that power is gone and missing. And as we celebrate Christmas and the return of hope, you know, the example of Christmas, the story of Christmas is really a story of hope all the way through. But it doesn't start, we think Christmas starts like 2,000 years ago to, you know, two people having a baby in a manger and, you know, the, that sort of that story. But it, it happened thousands of years. The story starts thousands of years earlier. You know, when Adam and Eve first um, uh, uh, sinned and the relationship with God was separated, God made a promise to them saying, I'm going to fix this. You know, yeah, the relationship's broken, but I'm going to find a way to fix this. A man named Abraham came along a couple thousand years later, thousands of years later, and he said to him, 
Abraham, it's going to be through you. You're the guy. You're the one I'm going to start working with. We're going to bring a solution to this planet, you and, and me. And he's like, okay, but, you know, and he had to trust God and had a son. And then to, later on to saying to David, David, it's going to be through your line as well. There's going to be this, this, this um, uh, promised Messiah that's going to come and make things right. Well, everything that's wrong, he's going to make it right. And they continue to wait and wait and wait. And hope would dwindle and prophets would come along and say, hey, you know what? Just remember what God said. Remember what God said. And there was this man named Isaiah. Isaiah came a couple hundred years later and he, um, he told the people of Israel, he came as a prophet and said, you know what? Doom and gloom is coming. The Syrian army, the Assyrian army is about to take us over. We are going into captivity, everyone. Just get ready. And they're like, oh, thanks for the encouraging message, Isaiah. You know, this is great. Darkness and doom and gloom. And, and then he says, yeah, and that's in chapter 8. You can read that of Isaiah. But in Isaiah chapter 9, he says, yes, but, but I ha- we have hope. And do you know when hope matters? When situations are hopeless. See, hope doesn't really matter all that much when everything's going well. It's actually what matters when everything looks like it's going terribly when there's so much darkness and everything around, it's when people need hope the most. Isaiah chapter 9, uh, he writes these words. He says, yeah, it might be really dark and everything's terrible in chapter 8. Chapter 9, he says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. It may feel like a long time, but it's not going to go on forever. Then he says this. He begins to speak of something that's about to come. He says, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled They will be. It's not going to be good. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles. Where do you hear about Galilee? The New Testament is Jesus is all through Galilee. He says, when the Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Yeah, we're about to go through something really, really difficult. But down the road, something's coming. Verse 2, he says, the people who walk in darkness, that means that that, that idea of they live in, a, in this perpetual darkness, they're going to see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. In verse 6, he says this, a child's going to be born to us. A son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. See, we read this and we read it at Christmas time, not realizing when this was originally written, it was dark, dark times. And what's Isaiah saying? Listen, yes, right now is dark, but there's hope. There is hope. And, and, and we think, well, you know, he's keeping hope alive. And he did for that moment. But you know what? It would be another 700 years before Luke would write the following words in Luke chapter 2. As the angel said to the shepherds, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem the city of David. You'll recognize him by the sign. You're going to find the baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger, the promised son, the promised Messiah. You're going to find him 700 years. We have trouble waiting for stuff for seven minutes. 700 years. We're talking lifetimes of people. And do you know what hope is? Hope goes beyond lifetimes. Hope goes beyond just our time on this planet or our situation we're in. And for some, when there's, when there's people facing hopeless situations where they've been given, given up on any hope at all, there's still hope. But the problem is it's not just hope for this situation. It's hope that goes beyond. See, that child came. That child Jesus came to do what no other child would ever do. He would, not, he would live a life that, that wowed people. The, the power that was moving through his life, it, it changed the world around. He said, you know what? I'm here to show you what the Father looks like. I want to show you what, what, the, what my kingdom, what God's kingdom is like. Here we have hunger. 
God's kingdom, no, let me, let me feed 5,000. There's no hunger there. Here, we got sickness, we got death. God's kingdom, no, I'm just going to heal that. I want to show you what his kingdom is like. And they'd get this taste for what the kingdom would be like. And people began to follow Jesus, and then he dies. Then he dies on a cross, and they think, wow, just like every other person, dead. And then he does what no other person does. He rises from the dead. Eyewitness accounts, all kinds of proof that we have for the fact that Jesus really rose from the dead and just proves that he's God and everything he said is true. All the stuff that he had said about, you know what, that there's a, there's a hope, there's something greater. If you follow me, you'll never have to truly die. All becomes true. And as, as these people who were followers of Jesus, they began going everywhere, telling everybody about the good news of the fact that a man died for my sins, that I have been forgiven. And people began to follow began to follow Jesus all over, all over. And they, they began to follow Jesus in this place called Rome. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. It's a real place. Real place, real people there. So there's these followers of Jesus in Rome, and they received this letter from a man named Paul because Rome was not a great place to be a Jesus follower, not in the early days. You know, you think and you hear the story of Dahlia, of what it's like to live in a land of persecution. Just picture those Jesus followers in very similar things. That because of what they believe and who they believe in, their lives are constantly in danger. That maybe one day they're with their family and the next day they're in a gladiatorial arena facing lions for their faith. And Paul writes to these people who are in this dark time of persecution, imprisonment. But they got a light on the inside. And he reminds them of the hope that they have. Romans chapter 5, it's a little bit lengthy. I just want to read it to you just as he wrote it, trusting that the words of God will speak to your heart. He says this, we can rejoice too. Yeah, wait a second, Paul. Do you, do you know where we are? He's like, yeah, I'm here too. I'm writing this. You know, I'm writing, I'm writing from a prison cell to you. He's like, listen, we can rejoice. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance is developing strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. It's, it's this thing of salvation, the hope of something beyond what's happening right now. In verse 5, he says, this hope will not lead to disappointment. This isn't, like a, this isn't like all the other hopes you had in your life. Like, oh man, I hope, you know, I hope that I'll be able to uh, you know, get a bike. I hope that I'll, you know, when I go to school that the kids will like me. I hope that she'll like me. You know, I hope that you know, someday we'll get married. I hope that I'll be able to get a good job. I hope that I'm going to get into that school. I hope, I hope, I hope. And whatever it is, the, the things of disappointment, he says, this hope doesn't. This hope will not lead to disappointment, guaranteed. He says, why? Because we know, we know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. In verse six, he says, this is how we know that God loves us is because when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. You know, 2,000 years ago, Christ came. It was just the right time and he died for who? Us, us as sinners. He says, now most people would be willing to die for an upright person. Someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. And maybe they look around like, who's especially good here? I don't know. Verse 8 says this, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. Some pretty harsh words. We will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Verse 11, so now, when? Now. But Paul, 
Do you understand what we're going through? Yes. Now you can rejoice. Why? Because of the hope. The hope. He says, now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. As he's speaking, you're reminding them of the hope. The hope that goes beyond just here. He's saying, if you can get that hope in your heart of the fact that this is more than just our lifetime, we've been made for eternity. That our friendship with God goes on for eternity. It reminded me of a story. I think I heard it at Sweets Corners years ago. Wes had shared it, but it was about the story of a young lady who was in the hospital. She had been given a couple weeks to live. And uh, she was there. She called the pastor in and asked, you know, can we plan my funeral? And, and so they did. And he says, she said, I only have one thing uh, that I want. She says, I, I, when I'm buried or when I'm uh, uh, in my casket, she says, I want to be holding a fork in my hand. And, and he gave this puzzled look. Like, what? What's up? Why a fork? And she said, well, because in my life, I've always loved when we went out for dinner. And after they were clearing the plates, they would tell me, you know, keep the fork. And she's like, I knew something better was about to come. And so he's like, ah, okay. And so uh, he said, that's exactly what they did. They put a fork in her hand, and as people would pass through the receiving, like the lines and going through, they'd all like, what's up with the fork? And he would sit there smiling, just knowing that he'd have that opportunity. And at her funeral, he started by saying, so you wonder about the fork. He said, this young woman knew more about heaven than I did. The fact that she understood that there's more to this life than this life. That the fork is just like that idea of desserts coming. Something better is yet to come. Knowing that I'm living this life, knowing that, what's, that the best is yet to be. It's the message of Christmas. It is the message of hope that for each and every single one of us, we have a world around us that's heart sick. Heart sick. Surrounded by darkness, surrounded by hopeless situations because it only revolves around here. Getting doctor's reports saying, you know, you don't have much time. Hopeless, unless there's a different hope. People saying, you know what, your marriage is over. It's hopeless unless there's a different hope. For some of you going through really difficult times, even in this place this morning, feeling hopeless, unless there's a different hope. A hope that doesn't disappoint. A fact that hope came to our world. And I love the words of the song we sang, the hope of the world lifted on high, calling you home with arms stretched wide. You know, we sing that song or you hear it on the radio, I'll be home for Christmas. That is my prayer this Christmas for our Kingsway family is that people would find their way home to their Heavenly Father this Christmas because of the hope that's been put in their heart. How does it get there? It gets there through you. Taking moments this year to, to shine and to, to put, put hope into people's lives, no matter what situation they're going through, to be able to say, listen, I know that that's tough, but God, There's a God who loves you. There's a God who cares. This is something, there's something more than just this. And that they might experience joy, that they might experience love, that they might experience peace, and ultimately they may experience hope, a hope that won't disappoint. Maybe you're here this morning and and you're in that place. You're not a Jesus follower. Maybe you heard we had free cake and so you decided you would come check it out. Maybe somebody told you, you know, I'll buy you lunch, just come to this church. Or maybe you're just like, you know, just, just intrigued. What goes on in that place? And you're sitting here this morning and, you know, life does seem to feel a little bit dark and purposeless at times. And you're, you're just really not sure. Do you know that you're not here by accident? That there is a God who loves you incredibly? That all the things that we've messed up in our lives and we feel like maybe, you know, I don't want to believe in God because I don't want to give an account of that. It'd be easier if he just didn't exist. Well, he exists, but he's not there to judge and condemn you. 
He exists saying, listen, I forgave all that. I'm just welcoming you. It requires us turning away from doing all the stuff that we try to do for ourselves and say, God, I just want to follow you. Would you forgive me? Would you do it in my life? I'm not going to try and get better. I'm not going to try and be this perfect person. I'm just going to let you in. And would you do in me what needs to be done? It's on the table for you this, uh, this morning. That's the opportunity that's there for each and every one of you. And it's the opportunity you have to share with others this Christmas. And I would encourage you to, because the hope of the world is what our world needs. Can we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sending Jesus for me. You know how much I needed you. Thank you for changing my life. Thank you for giving me hope, hope that transcends everything that just happens in my life here today. And I know that's true for others here as well. Father, we pray that as we go out into our world, a world full of darkness, full of hurt, full of heart sickness, would you help us to know and be aware of the fact that we are bringing you, your light, to our world. Give us opportunities to share. May we not be ashamed. May we be bold to just share the message of of you, the message of hope. Thank you, Jesus, for that opportunity. Thank you for what you've done in our lives and what you do in the lives of others. Look forward to living this week with you and for you. And I pray for every person in this place that these words would rest in their mind until they've accomplished everything you desire for them to do in their heart and in their lives and in the lives of those around them. So in your name I pray. Love you. Amen. Amen. Um, you are dismissed. We're a little bit late this morning. I blame that on Dahlia, but um, sure, yeah. Sure, come on up. Um, as So you just raised my hope level up, so I just want to, like, when we wrap up the ceremony now, to pray for my family, because I still have hope that one day the Lord will open their eyes. I forgive them for all what they did to me, because this is something that I have been able to do after I accepted the Lord. So we just pray for them to come to him and to know him and to worship him. And I would like also to pray for the refugees who are still waiting in Turkey and Lebanon in such a hopeless situation that they may have hope and patience to wait on the Lord's promise while they don't, they don't have schools for their children because their children are not allowed to go to school. They're not citizens. They don't have papers. They cannot access free health care because they're not citizens, so if something happens to them, they have to pay a lot of money that they don't have. They don't know if they're going to live tomorrow. Their life's in such a danger. So please pray for my family first and then pray for them too. Sure. What you've just done is prayer, but can we join her? Would you? Yeah, Father. You hear the uh, cry of Dahlia's heart, and we just join with her right now. We pray for her family. We pray for her mom and her dad and her siblings and her uncles and all of those who meant evil for her life. Father, we pray and believe that you'd bring great good uh, in their lives out of this, that they might see Jesus, that they might see you through her life and through her uh, response. Uh, God, we pray for uh, refugees as well that are waiting uh, Lord, for those uh, we know you're waiting with them, may they have such a sense of that, but we pray for, for renewed hope for them as well. We know there's no time and space with you, that you're right there with them right now.
pray that their lives would be flooded, flooded with your presence and your goodness this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.